studying Matthew 27, uh, the passage that Bill read. So if you'd like to turn there, <clears throat> while you're turning there, I'd like to mention a few things. Number one is uh, if you find and have found uh, that the book of Revelation is kind of mystifying and confusing <coughs> and such, we're, we're studying the book of Revelation on our Sunday evening uh, studies together. And so we're going to be in Revelation 5 today. And I want to really urge you to come out. It's a beautiful, amazing passage about uh, the, the very, all of creation stands silent. Who is worthy to open the scroll and the seven seals? And it's a beautiful passage. I want to urge you to come out to do that. Secondly, we're going to have a new Sunday school class that's starting uh, next week. And it's, it's a comprehensive class. And it, it could probably be summarized in this way. Uh, pointing our loved ones to Jesus. And the, the idea of the class is that we all have unsaved loved ones that we would love to see come to Christ. And for one reason or for another, it's hard to communicate with them. There may be, uh, or, or to talk to them. We're going to go from uh, the very, very young to uh, our children. How do we raise our children? How do we model before them? How do we point them and draw them to Jesus, all the way up to adult children who have left the home or, or, or relatives. How do we make those connections? How do we avoid some of the, the divisions that sometimes happen in families where, um, whether it's politics or lifestyle or things like that, that break off communication? How do we not let that happen and, and keep a relationship that can keep us pointing them to Jesus? And so that is going to be the uh, Sunday school class that's going to be offered beginning next uh, Sunday morning. I'll be teaching uh, on that. Let's pray together before we open up this text in Matthew 27. Father, we praise you and we thank you that you sent us your son. We know that that is something that we know and we repeat often. But Father, we do pause and we thank you for sending us your dear, beloved son. And we thank you that your son went to the cross for us. And we ask that as we study this, as we look at this, Father, we feel so inadequate, like we cannot, we cannot even begin to grasp the wonder and the mystery, the glory, the beauty of what he has done for us, unless your Holy Spirit comes and helps us, unless your Holy Spirit opens our eyes, unless your Holy Spirit works in our midst. And so we just ask, Father, send your Holy Spirit, Spirit of the living God, your, your role, as it were, is to glorify the Son. Please glorify the Son in our midst this morning, we pray. Help us to see very clearly who he is and what he has done. Help us touch our hearts, we pray. Touch our lives, even our wills, we ask. In Jesus' precious name, amen. When um, <clears throat> Moses was out in the wilderness... And he saw this big bush burning, but it's not being consumed. He went over to check it out, finding it interesting. And when he got there and he saw this big bush that's just burning and burning and burning, but it's not burning up, all of a sudden a towering, amazing, great, mighty, earth-shaking voice said to him, Take your shoes off. You are standing on holy ground. I am here I have just made this place so sacred, so special, so amazing. Show your reverence by taking your shoes off in my presence. I'm saying that because I feel like this is a passage like this where we should almost take our shoes off 
and recognize that there is something holy, awesome, awe-inspiring, beautiful about this text. This is the trial of Jesus before Pilate. And Jesus, in all of his glory, and all of his, his, the wonder of who he is, is going to be so deeply humiliated and disappointed and, and hurt uh, through this time. And so what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like us to just look at this text. We'll look at the different uh, characters that are involved in this. You're going to see Jesus. You're going to see Pilate. You're going to see the Jewish leaders. You're going to see the crowd. You're going to see Barabbas. And then we're going to see even Mrs. Pilate. Claudia is going to be in this as well. That's her name. Historically, uh, we know her name. But what I, So I want to do is just give us an overview. We're just going to look at the details and the facts so that we really grasp what the story is saying. But then we're going to step back and we're going to focus. And we're going to actually do what we're called to do, each of us individually. We're going to meditate on this text. We're going to, we're going to take this text. We're going to look at two aspects of this text in a little bit more detail and, and, and capture some of the wonder of what is going on in this text. So let's begin with our overview. And this is where Jesus has been brought now. He's been arrested. He was taken to the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish uh, organization and council. But Jew, the Jewish nation is, is, is under the control and domination of the Roman nation. And so the Jews have no power to execute anybody. And so they're taking Jesus now to the governor of that area, the main political leader, and his name is Pontius Pilate. And Jesus is now brought bound as a prisoner before Pontius Pilate. And look at verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. Yes, that is what you say is true. That's what he's saying there. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered them not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Jesus is brought before the Pilate, and Pilate, who is who's a Roman governor, he knows power, he knows, he knows armies, he knows uh, what authority is all about, he has the power, he has the authority. Jesus is brought before him, and the charge is that Jesus is seditious, that Jesus is starting a an insurrection, that Jesus is proclaiming himself as king and Caesar not as king. And it's interesting when you look at this in the original language because what we've done here in English is we've added a question. But actually, in the original language, Pilate doesn't ask a question. He makes a statement, and this is the statement. You are the king of the Jews? You are the king of the Jews? And it's almost as if he's belittling him or he's shocked or he's what? Because here this bound man in peasant garments is standing here before him and he says, you're the king of the Jews? I know kings and you're not one. You're the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers, yes, I am. I am. Now, what does Jesus... Now, Pilate, of course, is looking for an army. He's looking for insurrection. He's looking for danger to his throne. And he sees none of that in this man. Jesus, on the other hand, is answering historically, redemptively, biblically. Jesus is saying, yes, I'm the promised Messiah. Yes, I am King David's greater son. Yes, I am the promised redeemer. Yes, I am Messiah. Yes, I am all of those things. Jesus, that's what is in Jesus' simple answer. Yes, I am the king of the Jews. 
And more than that, I'm going to be the king of the whole world. That is going to be uh, brought up as well eventually, in, uh, in, not in this section, but in terms of what the answer to that question is. But then something happens. Notice what happens next, verse 12. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, there's all this talk, blah, 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 blah. He's this, he's that. He said he was going to do this. He said he was going to do that. He's, he cleared the temple. He's, he's this, he's that. All of these charges, he should be executed. He should be killed. He should be dead. This is a bad man. Jesus just stood there. Notice what it says. And he answered nothing. He absolutely just stood there. And so with all of these things, what Pilate expected at this point was Jesus to be shouting out, Jesus to be trying to appeal for his life, Jesus to be contradicting what they're saying, Jesus to be arguing at them, and Jesus to be pleading with them. And Jesus is just standing there with, with a serenity and dignity and majesty and humility and just lets it talk. And we're told, Pilate, verse 13, says to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? It's almost as if Pilate is trying to urge him on, say something. But he answered him, not one word. Jesus just didn't even, didn't even answer Pilate. And it says, and so that the governor marveled greatly. Now the, she, the, the scene shifts a little bit. To Barabbas. Now notice next, it says this, verse 15. Now at the feast, that's the feast of the Passover, that, was, that is the, the largest and most important feast in the Jewish calendar, and, 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 and that's what was going on at the time. Now at the, feast of the, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing one to the, to the multitude, one prisoner whom they wished. It was kind of a goodwill gesture, kind of a, this is the way Rome's going to you know, pay, pay a few coins of, 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 of prestige to your, to your feast. It says, and at that time, they had a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. Now, the word notorious here means that he was well-known bad guy. This is a well-known bad guy. In fact, uh, the scriptures go on to say this passage as well, that he was an insurrectionist. You see, Rome hated, uh, the Jews hated to be under Rome. They hated. So there was this constant rebellion, constant uh, insurrection. And that's why Pilate was very concerned when somebody claiming to be the king of the Jews, if this was a genuine, real political movement where there was actually power and actually armies and insurrectionists like Barabbas, Pilate was going to take this seriously. He recognizes Jesus is not that. And yet he has this man, Barabbas, there, who in fact was that. In fact, we're told that Barabbas is a murderer that he's actually killed somebody in a recent insurrection. There was an insurrection. He probably killed Roman soldiers. Barabbas killed people, and then he was arrested and taken into a Roman jail. And now Barabbas may well have been something of a folk hero for um, the, the zealots and the insurrectionists who wanted, to fight against, who wanted to fight against Rome. Barabbas was clearly somebody that Rome wanted dead. No question about it. Pilate wanted Barabbas dead, and he was the last person that Pilate wanted back out on the streets. So Pilate actually, it seems, takes a gamble. He takes a gamble. He's got Jesus here on one side, and Jesus is clearly no threat to the civil government of Rome. Number two, Jesus is a righteous man. He's a good man, and he has the, 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 the people have really, really 
got so thrilled a week ago when this guy came into the city. Multitudes have been clamoring around him, listening to him and following him. And, uh, and he's popular. And the only reason he's here is because these guys are envious. On the other hand, you have this notoriously very bad guy who the world would be better if he was executed and off the streets. And so Pilate offers them this choice, very much gambling that they're going to pick Jesus. And notice what it says here. At that time, verse 16, they had a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ or Messiah. For he knew, verse 18, for he knew that they handed him over because of envy. Jesus is simply here because the Jewish leaders are envious of him. They hate him. They're upset with him. They have malice toward him. He has said things that have exposed their hypocrisy. He, the power is moving away from them. The crowds are following him. They're envious of that. They want him done. And Pilate sees that this is just a sham. This man shouldn't be here. This is a righteous man. And so he knew that. Now, while Pilate has made that offer, the, the scene shifts again. And it, you get this sense that Pilate is there, and he's standing there, and he's making this offer. And all of a sudden, one of his aides come out of the, comes out of the corner. And one of his aides starts whispering in his ear. And Pilate says, hold on one second. He's whispering. He comes back, and he whispers in his ear. And it's a message. It's a message from his wife. And notice what it says, verse 19. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, have nothing to do with this just, that just man. The, another translation of that, that righteous man. For I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. So Pilate gets this information that his wife says, this is a righteous man. This is a just man. You're about to condemn a just man. Walk away from this. Get away from this. And I've had this dream, and, and I'm tormented by this dream. Something is really bad happening here. This is a good man. But while that was taking place, the camera, as it were, shifts back, and the chief priests and the scribes, they've been busy. So, so again, see this? He's sitting on the throne. Here's Jesus. Here's Bar Barabbas. He says, okay, I'll tell you what I'll do. I, I always give somebody, I'll give you one of these two guys. You pick who it is. But, and then one of his aides, come here. We have an urgent message from your wife. You guys hold up for a second. He's over here. While he's over there, notice what the Bible says. The chief priests and the scribes are working the crowd. They're in there, and they're out there, and they're talking to the multitude, and they're seeking to persuade. And I don't know, is that, is, that, is, that really, is that really what they were doing, persuading? It almost sounds like they were pressuring. It almost sounds like they were pushing their weight around, whatever, with the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. By the way, isn't envy a wicked sin? Isn't envy a wicked sin? Do you ever have envy? Or you just envy somebody. They're, they're, they, they, they're blessed more than you are in something. They're prettier than you. They're handsomer than you. They're richer than you. They're more successful than you. They've, you've been passed up for promotion for them. Whatever. They have a great marriage. They have great, whatever. Even their spiritual gifts. Even their usefulness. Whatever. And you get this heart of malice toward them where then you want to cut them down to size. You want to, you want to speak negatively against them. You're willing to slander them, to bring them back down to your level because they're not better than you. That is such a wicked sin that these men have gotten to the point that they want Jesus dead. They want him destroyed. What harsh language. Ask for Barabbas. They're going around, ask for Barabbas. We want Jesus dead. Destroy Jesus. Destroy him. Destroy him. 
And so, verse 21, the governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. And he immediately, I believe he's immediately shocked. Are you serious? This guy, this guy is an evil man. This guy's, you're, this guy's a just man. We want Barabbas. And Pilate pushes back. Then Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus? Notice this, he calls him by his first name, who is called Christ Messiah. And they all said to him, let him be crucified. Here's the first time the word crucifixion is used. Let him be crucified. Crucify him. Nail him up until he bleeds to death, suffocates, hangs there and dies. Give him the worst punishment that Rome could possibly give to somebody who's not a Roman citizen. Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? Now, by the way, when you read the Gospels and all of the Gospels and you put these accounts together, one of the things that comes out crystal clear is that Pilate over emphatically over and over again says one thing. He's a righteous man. This is an innocent man. The official verdict of Rome's court system was, in terms of the law, there's nothing against this man. Listen to how it's, it's written in the book of Luke. In Luke 23, 13, it says this. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your own presence... I have found no fault in this man concerning those things which you accuse him. Neither, no, neither did Herod, because he had sent him to Herod, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. Pilate wanted to release Jesus. He knew he was a righteous man, and Pilate offers and says, I'm going to release him. I'm going to release him. And that's when, jumping back at Matthew 27, that's when we have this. When, in verse 23, he says, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out. They screamed out all the more, let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. Crucify him. Kill him. Rid the earth of this one, not this one. And Pilate, verse 24, saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising. He had a riot on his hands. He took water and he washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just, righteous person. You see to it. You see to it. This is kind of a, a cheap way of a weak political man trying to make himself feel a little bit better and maybe stay on the good side of Claudia a little bit. But he, uh, he, 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 he washes his hand. Rather than do the right thing, which is release an innocent man, he condemns an innocent man. It says this, then, verse 25, and all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Now, how do you take that? That can have two meanings. And if you were to study the book of John, you would find out that John comments on this in a very similar manner when the high priest said a very similar word. And John says that does have two meanings. Yes, the guilt of his blood is upon you, but also this is the blood that offers salvation to you. He's dying for the, John says, for the nation and for people who are not even in the nation whom God will call. And so there's a double nuance almost. They don't know they're saying that, but that's what they're saying. And then verse 26, 
He released Barabbas to them. When he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And so here you have Pilate, or Barabbas. They come to him. They release him. You're free. You can go. Barabbas is untied. Barabbas jumps off that stage. Barabbas runs to his friends who may be there. They're hugging. They're, they're, they're slapping him on the back. They're, they're rejoicing with him. And Jesus, you will be whipped and you will be crucified. And Jesus then goes off the stage. Now, that's the facts. That's the facts. When you read the Bible, that's what you've got there. Now, let's go deeper now. Let's just meditate upon this a little bit. Let's draw some of these facts out. Let's, let's try to enter into this and understand what is actually happening here. The marvel, the beauty, and the grace of what's happening here. First of all, let's be reminded once again. We have to remind ourselves constantly when we come to these texts of who this Jesus actually is. This is the very Son of God. This is the very Son of God. Standing there, handcuffed as it were, silent, listening, being accused, being lied about. This is the eternal Son of God. He was with the Father before time began. He was one with the Father forever. In the beginning, John says, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was in the beginning with God. He is with God and he is God. There's one, a oneness between father and son, a oneness of deity, a oneness of the absolute dignity of deity and a love of father to son, son to father, an eternal love, a forever love, an infinite love, an amazing love between father and son. John then goes on to say this, and all things were created through him. The father created through his word. The father created through his son. And there was nothing created that was made, not one thing that was not made through him. So think about it. In that room, standing in that room, handcuffed there like this, is the very son of God who created every single person who's in that room. Created every one of them. He created the earth that that room is standing upon. He created the, the stars in the sky, and he created the, 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 the galaxies. He created the sun that was just starting to come up over, over the, uh, the horizon at that point in that early morning. He created all of those things. He created the angels who are all looking down upon this scene. The angels whom we know are standing there in shock. Standing there poised and ready, standing there with their hands upon their swords, standing there waiting for the moment that Jesus calls them down to vindicate him and to protect him and to, and to judge his enemies and destroy them and bring him the royal, royal glory that he deserved. And the father is standing there looking at his son from heaven, his son handcuffed, being judged and condemned. Dear friends, that such indignities would happen to the glorious Son of God is the greatest tragedy of judgment ever. The greatest judgment, a tragedy of justice ever. That these mere men would condemn to death the Son of God who created them is an absolute tragedy. That these small, little, sinful worms would act with envy was shocking to all of heaven. But there is the Son of God standing 
And here's a, another wonderful mystery. He stands in determined silence. You see, dear friends, Jesus is the Son of God. He is also fully the Son of Man. He is 100% human and 100% God in one being, without any mixture, without diluting. He's not half God, half human. He's 100% God, 100% human. He is the very Son of God, and he is very much the Son of Mary, the Son of Man, 100% human. Do you not believe that Jesus was tempted? Tempted terribly to cry out, to scream, to defend himself. Could you imagine yourself walking into a courtroom and in that courtroom, it was going to be decided whether you were going to be set free or you were going to be executed and you stay silent and you stay silent while people who hate you and are envious about you are lying about you, contradict, making contradictions among themselves, making fools of themselves, talking only out of lying. How would you not be tempted to tell them to stop, to argue back, to tell them to shut up? to tell them what they're, how they're wrong, to, to cry out, to ask for, for justice in this place. No, he didn't do any of that. He stood there and he resisted the temptation to do any of that as the son of man. He stood there and he stayed silent. He stayed silent. Why? Because he's laying down his life. He stayed silent for you and for me. Don't you think there was something in him, in his humanity, that he wanted to beg for mercy? Don't you think that the, as the horror of the cross came upon him, and we know in Gethsemane this was true, as the horror of what the cross was going to mean in all of, its, all of its pain, all of its agony, all of its humiliation, and the wrath of the Father, as that was getting closer and closer, don't you think that in his humanity, as that got closer in his humanity, there was a sense within any human being that I'm, I, I, I can't handle this. I can't handle this. This is too much. Panic would set in. I want to quit. No, stop, stop. Please stop. None of that. A majestic silence. Fighting down all of those Gethsemane fears. Fighting all of that down. No. Silence. Why? He's laying down his life. And he's determined that he will die for us. Don't you think in his humanity, don't you think in his humanity, it would be so tempting at that moment to call down the angels. Haven't you ever been in a situation where you were falsely accused? Where there was, you were falsely accused for something, saying something, doing something, and there's clear evidence that you didn't do that. And you relish the moment when you brought that evidence out and said, oh no, I didn't say that. In fact, he was there. Tell us what, what I said. You relish that. Wouldn't you at that moment with Jesus, with those sinful, miserable, little wretches and worms out of their envy, lying about him, and that little wretch Pilate standing there, unable because of his cowardice to show forth any leadership and any justice, wouldn't you at that point, and you had the opportunity, the ability to call down legions and legions of angels and be vindicated and justified and take vengeance on your enemies at that moment? He didn't do it. He stood there silent with this serene, dignified silence, resisting the temptation to call down the angels. Why? He's laying down his life. He's laying down his life for us. See, the Bible says he was like a lamb led to the slaughter. He was like a sheep before its shearers is silent. 
You see, the Bible, he said that the greatest love is to lay down your life for your friends. He was letting this trial happen. He was making this trial happen. He was submitting. He was obeying unto death. He was suffering for others. He was suffering for us. He was allowing the suffering to come that was going to come for us. Why? Because he loved us and he wanted us to be saved more than he wanted to save himself. It would be so tempting to call down the angels. It would be so tempting to stop this thing. It would be so tempting. But he wanted to save us from suffering, so he permitted suffering to happen to him. He wanted our sins to be forgiven. He wanted our sins to be punished on him so they wouldn't be punished on us. He wanted the plan which he and the Father and the Holy Spirit had put together that multitudes of people that no man can number from every tribe and nation and tongue would stand with white robes and crowns before him. He wanted that, that plan to be lived out and he wasn't going to subvert it now no matter how much he had to suffer. Even when there was talk of release, release. He, remember, he's fully human. And all of a sudden, Pilate says, listen, I'll release one of these men. Don't you think at that moment his heart would have leapt just in his humanity? And when Pilate says, I'm going to release this man, don't you think there was a part of his heart that leapt? And let Jesus stifle that all down and said, no. I think that even actually magnified and made his sufferings worse. No. I do not want this release. He stayed silent. And of course, then there's the shout of rejection. Have you ever been rejected? Did you ever have somebody break up with you in a romance? I don't want to date you anymore. I want to date him. He's nicer. He's more handsome. He's richer. He's this. And you're rejected. I don't want to date you anymore. I want to date him. That teeny little romantic rejection hurts. This is rejection. Destroy him. Kill him. Not him, Barabbas. We don't want him around. Take him from the face of this earth. Not him. The very one that they hailed a week earlier as the coming queen, king. Hosanna. Hosanna to the one of the highest. Hosanna to the son of David. The very one that they were clamoring to hear him teach. The very one that they stood in awe of his miracles. Now they are voting him down. They are rejecting him. They want him out. They're crying out for his death. How ugly and fickle and foolish and envious these people are. This mankind is. And guess what? He stands silent. Silent because he wants to save them. He wants to save them. Dear ones, we should be lost in wonder, love, and praise. The love of the Lord Jesus Christ is so profound, so deep, so supreme, so willful, so masterful that with great loving dignity, the Lamb stands there silent ready, making it happen that he would lay down his life for his sheep. Finally, by way of our meditation, let's ask this question. Who is Barabbas? Who is this guy Barabbas? He's a violent, rebellious man. He's a murderer. He's a rebel. John calls him a robber, just the same word that's used of the two thieves that hang next to Jesus on both sides. How thrilled Barabbas must have been. How thrilled 
Barabbas must have been when, first of all, Pilate said, okay, I'll tell you what, this righteous, just, gentle man right here, Jesus, and let's see, which one of these criminals out? Ha! There's Barabbas. Bring him up here. Barabbas! <laughs> How about this? This nice Jesus, or Barabbas? Are you serious? Barabbas? And Barabbas can't even believe he's there. Wow, I got a 50-50 shot at this. I got a 50-50 shot at this. Barabbas is there, and how thrilled Barabbas must have been when he heard his name cried out, we want Barabbas. You see, Barabbas woke up that morning, if he ever did sleep that night. Barabbas woke up that morning sick to his stomach, sick to his stomach, nauseated. Why? Because he knew that day. He was so hated by Rome. He had killed Roman soldiers, probably. He was so hated by Rome that he was going to be punished. He was going to be tried. He was going to be whipped between, to an inch of his life. Then he was going to be dragged outside of town. He was going to be nailed to a cross. He was going to be hung there. And above his head, it was going to say, Barabbas, insurrectionist. And he was going to suffer and suffer and suffer. Barabbas knew that morning when he woke up that he was going to die. He was a dead man. He was going to be whipped. He was going to be executed. He's a dead man. And all of a sudden, standing there, the people are calling out for Barabbas. And Pilate says, unhandcuff him. His handcuffs go off. And he says to Barabbas, Barabbas, you are now free to go. You are pardoned of all of your crimes. You will not be held accountable. You will not be murdered this day. Barabbas runs out of the thing. He's free. He's cleared. He's pardoned. He jumps off of the stage. And while Barabbas is jumping off the stage and running, he can hear, if he was even listening, he can hear Pilate then turning to Jesus and say, whip him and execute him. And Jesus is led off of the stage. Not one chain will bound Barabbas now. Not one lash of the whip will he ever feel that day. Not one nail will be nailed through his hand that day. Not one drop of blood will drip out of him. Not one minute of agony hanging on the cross, which he expected. That's how his day and life was going to end. No agonizing death for Barabbas that day. No way, no way. Barabbas ran out of that place. Barabbas' friends, his other fellow insurrectionists, probably gathered together within the hour at some bar somewhere and were toasting Barabbas, were cheering Barabbas. Friends were coming up to Barabbas saying, dude, this is amazing. you got to be the luckiest man in the world, dude. You are the luckiest man in the world. Big old man hugs all around. Barabbas, Barabbas is the man. Man, you are free. You are innocent. You are the lucky. You're a free man, Barabbas. You're free. Rome set you free. And while that big party is going on, Jesus is being beaten. Jesus is being crucified. Jesus is hanging on the cross. Innocent Jesus is gasping for breath. Innocent Jesus is going through the agonies of death and dying. Dear friends, what a contrast. Who is Barabbas? Well, dear friends, I am. I'm Barabbas. You're Barabbas. We're Barabbas. We have been set free while Jesus died for us. We're the guilty ones. He's the innocent one. We're forgiven and justified. All of our sins have been wiped out. We are totally pardoned. There is no legal claim against us. We're Barabbas. The chains have been removed. We won't suffer one lash for our sins. We will suffer no humiliation. 
We will suffer no cross, no nails, no execution, no hell, no wrath, no judgment in that sense. Why? Because Jesus stayed silent. Jesus laid down his life. Jesus was lashed. Jesus was nailed. Jesus was executed. Jesus was hung. Jesus bled out. Jesus died. Jesus suffered the wrath of Rome, the wrath of the Jewish nation, and then the just wrath of God for our sins. We are wicked. We are proud. We are vengeful. We are mean. We are unforgiving. We are lustful. We are slanderous. We are backbiters. We are rebellious. We are self-willed, self-centered sinners. And Jesus, the Son of God, gave himself so that we could jump off of that judgment throne, jump off of that judgment stage, free, forgiven, cleansed, pardoned. Dear friends, this should have the most powerful impact upon your life than anything else imaginable. Anything else imaginable. We should be lost in wonder, amazement, love, and praise that the very Son of God would die for us, that the very Son of God would take our sins. See, dear friends, we're going to be walking into heaven soon, walking right into the glorious holy place called heaven, God's home, God's paradise. And there in the presence of God and all of the angels, the Lord Jesus Christ himself being praised, we're going to walk in there and we're going to be announced as forgiven, cleansed, justified, sinless people. The angels being on. All of our sins forgiven. Gone. We go walking in there like we're, We've never sinned. We go walking in there like we're the, the very, we are the very children of God, spotless and as righteous as Jesus because we have Jesus' righteousness on us, cleansed and forgiven. And there we'll see him on the throne as we're going to see tonight as a lamb crucified and slain, the marks of his crucifixion upon him. Oh, dear ones. Oh, dear ones. What do we say to this? I'll tell you what I say to this. By the grace of God and by the privilege of God, I've been able to live and, and, and think and meditate. I've been paid to every week be in this Bible and live and meditate until this stuff just becomes so real, so great in my life that there's one thing I never can get. I just can't get it. I can't get Christians who are not all in. I can't get Christians who aren't zealous. I can't get people who, dedicate, who, who, commit, who, who, who name the name of Jesus and will tell you that Jesus died for them who aren't dedicated, who aren't focused, who aren't genuine, who aren't real, who are not ready to throw everything in, who are not ready to sacrifice everything, who are not ready to lay down their lives for him. Dear friends, I, that, I don't get that. I cannot get half-hearted Christianity. I cannot get insincere Christianity. I cannot get lazy Christianity. I cannot get hobby Christianity where it's, it's kind of like a hobby. 
I can't get people that don't just say, I'm, I, I'm overwhelmed, I'm all in. The Son of God died for me and gave his life for me. What can I give? What can I give? What can I do? What can I be? I'm all in. I'm all yours. You're everything to me. I will live my life for you. I will think my thoughts for you. I will do whatever you want. I will do anything that you want. I will be whatever you want me to be. I want to just spend my life loving you, joyful in you, serving you, glorifying you. And if I'm called to milk cows, I'll milk cows to your glory. If I'm called to sweep floors, I'll sweep floors to your glory as if you were going to walk in us. If I'm called to be a dad, I'm going to be the best dad I can be to your glory. If I'm called to be a mom, I'm going to be the best mom I can be to your glory. Whatever I'm called to do, wherever I'm called to be, whatever my calling is, I'm going to do it for you and your glory. And I'm going to love you and I'm going to worship you and I'm going to stand before you and I'm going to, be, I'm going to never be ashamed of you and I'm going to proclaim your name. And if the whole world hates you, I'm going to stand alone by your grace and be yours because you stood alone for me. You stood silent for me and now no one will silence me for you. And if I, if I find it baffling Christians who don't take their faith seriously, I find it tragic Non-Christians who hear of this great story and don't run to him for salvation. Oh, dear ones, if you are a non-Christian here today and you have never run to Jesus for your salvation, oh, please, I beg of you. He's the Son of God. And now he's offering the cross, the blood, forgiveness, justification, eternal life. He's offering it to you freely. He's offering it to you out of love. He's offering, just come, just come, just run into my arms. I'll, I'll give you power. Run from your sin. Run from the world. Run to me. Own me and I will own you. And I will give you the power and the grace and I will give you all that you need and I will forgive you and you will be mine forever and ever and ever. I can't imagine somebody not doing that. What kind of power sin must have over you? What kind of lies Satan must have convinced you of? What kind of foolish selfishness you must have generated in your heart? What kind of hellish resistance you would have that would keep you from flying into his arms and falling at his feet? And loving and worshiping and adoring him and committing yourself 100% to him. Dear ones, it's all in this text. He's calling you today. Come to him. We're about to sing a hymn, dear friends. But before we sing it, I want to close by reading its words to you. Because it's a very, very, very powerful and well-written hymn. And I think it's a great way of summarizing where we're coming to a conclusion here. It says, O sacred head, O sacred head now wounded with grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns, thine only crown. O sacred head, what glory, what bliss till now was thine. Yet though despised and Gory, I joy to call thee mine. What thou, my Lord, hast suffered was all for sinners' gain. Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. Lo, here I fall, my Savior. Tis I deserve thy place. 
Look on me with thy favor. Vouchsafe to me thy grace. What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend? For this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end. Oh, make me thine forever. And should I fainting be. And I love this last line. Lord, let me never, never outlive my love to thee. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do love you and we thank you so much. We're just so in awe and wonder of your sacrifice for us and you going through this trial for us. For us, the Son of God, for us. Oh, dear Lord, thank you that you're our Savior. Thank you that we have such a wonderful Savior. Thank you that you are the Son of God who loved us and gave your life for us. Help us to live for you. Help us to hold back nothing. Help us to be 100% yours. Help us to never be ashamed of you, to never shy back. Help us to never love sin more than you. Help us not to love ourselves more than you because you gave yourself completely for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We just worship you, praise you, adore you, and give ourselves to you. Oh, if there's any here today who need to flee in your arms, please, we pray, please let them see you by faith. Open their eyes. Grant them faith. Grant them repentance. Let them, we pray, let them see you. Break the power of Satan over them. Break the power of their sin and bring them to yourself that you would be glorified and honored. We pray this in your precious name.